0: Welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthyperspectives with an S at protonmail.com. You could also check us out on our website at www.healthy-perspectives.com. So it's a dash in between the healthy perspectives. Make sure you put an S at the end. Removing speech. Banning people. This is way more than a political concern, way more than a social media concern. This is a human concern. Today, we're going to take a look at this issue from a clinical perspective. A quick outline for you. We're going to talk about growth, feedback loops, burstiness. If you don't know what any of these mean, don't worry about it. Family systems. Yeah, we're going to talk about bans because we're going to start right there. Bans. I did some pretty generic research, nothing super complicated, nothing that, you know, is, is is something that you can't do on your own. And I discovered some things. Since 2011, bans in social media, bans in, you know, things like Twitter and YouTube and, you know, any of uh, Facebook They have gotten more and more common. And as somebody who understands why some of those bands are important, I ask a lot of questions in my mind about why are all of these happening? Look, I took a pretty generic look. And there were really four types of people that I came across. Uh, There were racists who were banned because of uh, instigating uh, issues as as pertaining to racist comments, racist actions, stuff like that. There were sex traffickers. There were people promoting violence, openly saying, I'm going to kill, I'm going to whatever, fill in the blank. And then there was this fourth category, whether you like it or don't like it, agree with it or disagree with it. And it is right-leaning or uh, far-right people that are in politics uh, or people who associate with political views that are on the right or the far-right. Those were the four categories. So what we are saying is anybody, this is my take on it. It, it. What we are saying is that if you are a right-leaning or a far-right person on the major social media sites, Twitter, um, you know, uh, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and, you know, stuff like that, YouTube, if you're right-leaning or far-right, you're the equivalent of a racist, a sex trafficker, or somebody who is just inherently designed to create violence. I'm not saying that I agree with it or disagree with it. That's just what it looks like. And so I want to talk about what this means, not not from the right or the left uh, or any of that stuff. I want to talk about what it means from a clinical view. The silencing of a person or a group inherently has some pretty massive issues from a clinical perspective. We'll start with growth if a, uh, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to go over the growth model a little bit with you. Not because you don't know it, but because I haven't done this probably as well or as much as I should. Growth is pretty, pretty simple to understand in my opinion. Now, how we get people to grow is challenging, but the idea, look, it starts with the idea this that we want to self-actualize, that we want to, at some level, become the, uh, the pinnacle of our imagination. That doesn't mean the pinnacle of our world. You know, some people dream of sitting on a beach and, you know, having a drink and going fishing and like, that's their, that's their self-actualized version of themselves. So if we start from the premise that The majority of us out there, you probably included, want to self-actualize, want to become the best version of you, whatever that means to you. Well, change starts with discomfort. So in order to get to that self-actualized position, we often have to go through discomfort and our desire to move to equilibrium is what moves us back to that, that place of comfort. We use past and present experiences to inform future aspirations. Like if, if that dream of sitting on the beach, having a drink and fishing is your ideal, that, by the way, is not my ideal. I can't sit on a beach. I have to play. If you know me well, you know that sitting on a beach is just not, it's just not in me. I got to dig holes. I got to go swimming. Um, but let's just assume for a second that that was your self-actualized version. Your past experiences informed that your present experiences are informing that it's telling you that in order to get there, you got to go through these things. So then the next question becomes, what's the motivation for change? Like, where do we get motivation? There's two main motivators. One is really simple. Self-preservation. When we get uncomfortable, We want to survive, get to the other other side of that, and hopefully feel comfort again. The other one, though, gets a little bit more tricky. Thrive. The idea of thriving. That's where we come up with things like sitting on a beach, fishing, having a drink, right? It's that idea that we are thriving. We have arrived. We have self-actualized. There is one more aspect to the motivation that I want to hit. The biggest blocker, the biggest blocker of thriving actually comes as a means of self-preservation. So sometimes our own motivation interferes with our ability to thrive as well as we can. And that word, you've probably heard me say it before, fear. Fear interferes with thriving. And yet it's one of those components that allows us to self-preserve at times. So it's a little tough. Sustained patterns of growth are a repeated process of discomfort, reflection of past, present, future, and a perspective on surviving and thriving. In other words, what do those two things mean? A sustained pattern of growth are repeated processes. It means you don't get to do the discomfort once and then it's over. You go through periods of discomfort, reflection, that's present, past, future, perspective on surviving and thriving, and they change over time, right? At one point for me, thriving was going to be playing big league baseball. I was going to be a superstar. Um, Clearly that didn't happen. So now I want to get into growth requirements, We have to have, it's not, it's not, we want to have, but if we want growth, we have to have a feedback loop. It's simply this. I interact with the world and the world interacts with me. That's a feedback loop. Now, what that looks like is very different, but that at the basic core of it, that's what it is. It teaches us our strengths and our weaknesses, and it uncovers all of our blind spots. Well, hopefully. That's the idea anyway. We can't get a feedback loop when people are told to stop talking, stop listening, stop paying attention. Oh, we're going to give you all of this information except for this. Now, I understand for safety purposes in some situations. I totally get that. I'm not negating that, but not all of the ones that I read to you are all safety situations. Sometimes they're just different perspectives, and I'm putting that out there just as something to chew on. And if these risks weren't bad enough, the idea of, that we're going to miss growth opportunity, that we're going to miss a feedback loop, the following are even worse. When we're looking from a psychological, sociological, cultural perspective, stopping a conversation, man, I got, hmm. It is taking away from verbal processing, burstiness, and it creates a hierarchy, which isn't inherently all bad by itself. But those first two, terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I'm going to explain to you why the third one is a concern. Verbal processing is something that the vast majority of us do at different times and in different ways and for different categories, right? We may not verbally process everything, but a lot of things we encounter in this world are verbally processed. And that's for the vast majority of people, the vast majority. And when we're told we cannot verbally process, it is a guarantee we're going to miss a learning opportunity. Now, you might be out there arguing, well, these people, they didn't want to verbally process. They wanted to argue, fight, cause problems. Maybe, uh, maybe I I didn't go through and look at every single detail, but I can tell you this. When I went through and I created a list of all of the people on Twitter that I could find that have been banned, all of the people on YouTube that I could find that had been banned, there is some silencing that is clearly going on that is intentional for social uh, or, or political purposes. Whether you believe it or not, go do your own research. I'm telling you the facts as I saw them. I went through and I wrote down names and dates of people. And then I compared, I just said, I said, objectively, what does this mean? How many Democrats, how many Republicans, how many people who were sex offenders, racists were promoting violence. I went through and did all of that. And it's very clear that there are four categories and not three. It's not just about violence. It's not just about sex trafficking. It's not just about racism you figure out the rest. If most of us are verbal processors and we miss those opportunities, that's a big loss. Things that are not talked out in the therapeutic world, we often say they will be acted out. It's almost a guarantee. If you don't talk it out, you're going to act it out. There's going to be a behavioral consequence of some sort. I'm not suggesting that just because you don't talk it out means you're going to end up being violent. Oh my gosh. People who do that, that's, that's that's not okay. And there is a behavioral consequence to not being able to voice with words, whether we're processing or trying to make our point, right? People who are trying to make their point, just let them get it out. That would be my suggestion. Let them get it out, and then move on. Yeah, filter it. Like it doesn't matter. Now there is there is some clarification, right? We we do need to protect uh, one another as a group, as a whole. From people who are going to harm children, harm people who are incapable of protecting themselves, like the elderly. Like, I'm not suggesting we don't have some protections. There there has to be some protections somewhere and in some way. And yet, we've got to be really careful that those protections don't become an excuse to silence. And I'll continue to explain why. In part, because of burstiness. Burstiness... If you don't know what burstiness is, man, let me tell you. This is a great concept. You know, in a clinical world, we talk about burstiness in in group settings. Group settings, man, when I see burstiness in a group, man, I am absolutely just loving it because what that tells me is I have created a safe space. Let me explain why. Burstiness is not the same as brainstorming. It's the idea of percolating ideas that are bouncing from one another over and over, right? It may hit one person in the group, then another, and then a third person comes in and then a fourth. And then sometimes you end up with these side conversations that are really quiet and brief, but those are part of the burstiness. In the popcorning of burstiness, it is the absolute creative free flow in social arenas that you're going to get. It is the most creative you're going to see. You want to, to create a creative environment? You have to create safe space for burstiness. For those, everybody's talking, It's it started off as one or two things and it has become this enmeshment of 10, 15, 20 ideas. People are writing things down. They're all different things. And then we go and we make sense of it all in a creative fashion it is only done when it's safe therefore the loss of safety to talk means inherently we're going to have less creative solutions we have lots of problems we have to solve do we want less creativity i mean creativity is going to be the the uh, ingenuity that that genius idea that takes form from burstiness and becomes the thing that allows us to reduce inflation, that allows us to improve our economic status in the world, that's going to allow us to create the next great electronic device of some sort, or software of some sort, or gets us to space, or maybe just helps a friend heal and get better. Burstiness is a good thing. And yet, when we take away the safety because we shut people up, the problem is they will no longer feel safe and the burstiness will subside. Not only that, but simultaneously, behaviors will increase. Not necessarily healthy behaviors, but this is a reality in the clinical world. It's predictable reality. I'm going to move on. Family systems. Family systems work would suggest... Uh, And in many social theories, to be honest, they suggest the importance of hierarchy and the limitations of hierarchy, right? We're going to talk about the importance and the limitations, the importance. man. if you're in crisis, hierarchy is super helpful. It creates a structure and a decision-making process that's efficient and can be done very, very quickly. That being said, there is a system that is better when we're not in crisis, And that is a roles-based environment. Roles are better than hierarchy because when roles are clearly defined, everybody belongs. Think about the tribal mentality, the idea of belonging. If we only belong when there's a crisis, then we don't actually belong. So even in this hierarchy, the people at the top suffer too. It's just a different, weird kind of suffering because they're not needed. And so what are they going to do? They're going to be more likely to create a crisis so that they can belong. Did y'all just hear that? I hope you were paying attention. That part was really an interesting part. Go back and listen again if you need to. So like I said earlier, do we want a media source being the, in hierarchy, the authoritarian do we want the politicians to be the authoritarians or do we want them to have a role to serve within our culture? Now, if you've listened to me for any length of time, you are going to understand culture is above politics, economics. Uh, it's above anything. It's, it's more than those things. From the bottom up, culture is created. The individual makes the culture. But as it goes up, it starts to create a pressure because the things that we have in common begin to percolate toward the top. And then that pressure comes down that if you're not like us, you're not one of us. And that's that cultural pressure. So we wanna make sure that if we're gonna set a hierarchy that we have the right leaders. Because if we don't have the right leadership, a hierarchy is actually dysfunctional. Now, I'm not I'm not suggesting this is that part is not being a political in any way. This is a family systems model. Look at silencing a person. This is this could be done in a home with a child. If the child doesn't feel like they belong, they're going to act out, right? They can't talk, they're going to act. That's the way it works. If a parent is silenced, They're going to act out. If the hierarchy, by the way, sometimes that happens, hierarchies get reversed. The child becomes the parent figure because the parent is not good at it. So I come down to this. I have some questions. My first question is Are we in crisis? Because if we are, then the hierarchy model might make sense. Some of you are going to be able to argue and debate that maybe we are in a crisis. I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that because that would be me turning this political. And I don't want to do that. I gave, you, I gave you information that you can go do your own research on. And yet the question still remains, are we in crisis? And if so, authoritarian hierarchy can be helpful. Do we have the right leaders to get through the crisis if in fact we are in a crisis? If we are not in a crisis, why do we have authoritarian hierarchy within social media, within politics, uh, within multiple different areas? Why do we have that if we're not in crisis? It's a question worth asking. Not only would this be contrary to best practice, it would be contrary to our cultural design, which, again, this is not... Uh, anything new to any of you out there, but in the American culture, we have a thing called the first amendment. That doesn't mean we have the right to do anything because we cannot incite violence. That's not acceptable. And I totally agree with that. We also have to be able to walk that really fine line between having opinions, processing opinions, having thoughts that are different than our neighbor and having a violent push. They're different. They're very different. And we got to make sure we walk that line and we walk it really carefully because with the perspectives, we're going to be better. If we eliminate perspectives, especially if we eliminate only one type of perspective, we're all going to be worse off for it. We're going to have a whole big giant American blind spot. And that's a problem. I hope I gave you a lot to think about. Hopefully I didn't make too many mistakes in here. Uh, Thanks for listening. Have a great day.